You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good to see you all today. We are continuing out of the book of beginnings. Um, sorry. Uh, in case you didn't notice at the end of um, the announcements, so Melinda often hides little Easter eggs and things in the announcements, whether it be the song that's being played or some of the backgrounds. Jack really loves Star Wars. And if you notice at the end of the announcements, that kind of starry sky, it's a little bit of a nod to that. So just be looking for those little things. It's just, it's the little details that really makes it pop. Anyway, um, we are getting into the book of beginnings. Um, Over the last few weeks, we've dealt with some bigger emotional things to struggle through. Um, These challenging questions in life that we we struggle on through and working, and it's been kind of heavier messages. we talked about the idea of not everything's black and white. There's a lot of gray to deal with. Talked about that life is just plain unfair. And that to, if we're going to go through life with a banner saying it's supposed to be fair, it's going to be disappointing our entire life. Um, and then last week, Ty gave an excellent message on gaining perspective, the perspective that the Lord has for us. And there's really two big elements out of that message that... Um, Chapter 41 illuminates both of those, and so we're splitting chapter 41 into two parts. The first part is this idea that God's ways are not our ways. The highlighting verse of that really comes out of Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I know for some that that is really, really difficult. It's a difficult truth to wrestle through that there might be something that God does or that happens that you do not have the ability to understand. I think when we realize that as humans, there is a cap, there's a cap that says this is God and this is humanity. And that that concept is difficult for a lot of people to struggle past. Um, I get on any sort of social media feeds I'm on, I usually stop whenever they're arguing with atheists or they're trying to challenge faith. And the argument is very consistent there. The idea that they cannot get past this, so there's just something I can't understand, they, they cannot move beyond that. It's, they're stuck there within this. And to me, that hasn't been a bit of, as big of a struggle simply for the case of, I'm perfectly fine accepting that there's gonna be plenty that I don't understand in this world in this universe. That does, it doesn't hurt my pride to think we live in a vast universe that in, in infinite creativity of the Lord, there's going to be some things that I just can't get. It's easy to accept that. But there are some folks, they just, they're not going to. And there's even some things when we look in scripture and it talks about difficult, difficult things, brutal things, horrendous things. We look at that and go, Lord, how, why? I don't understand. And a lot of times scripture is just silent. And an explanation isn't necessarily offered. Or the explanation given isn't one that we want to accept. 
And so what we're really highlighting today is there's going to be a few things that we just don't understand. We're not going to understand them. The other half of the passage that we're going to highlight more into next week is this idea that sometimes God places you somewhere for a very specific purpose. And you might be put into a situation that you don't like. It wasn't your preference. It might be really, really uncomfortable, but you are there for a very specific purpose. This comes from the idea out of Esther 4. Um, then Mordecai t- uh, told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that yourself that in the king's palace will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for a time such as this. It's a really heavily taken out of context passage. But it's this concept, this idea that God does put people in certain places at certain times that they didn't really want to go into in the first place, but they're here and they're for right now for this specific purpose. We look at Joseph's life. He's in a spot that he didn't choose. He didn't want. None of us would have chosen or wanted but God put him there for a very specific purpose, and we'll delve more into that next week. This week, we're going to look at my ways are not your ways, and you might not understand why I'm doing it this way, no matter how much we noodle through it, because when I consider, we're talking about dreams today, and when I consider some of these things, I think, God, there's an easier way. There's, a, there's an easier way to communicate with people um, than dreams and illusions, and but I'm not God, and I don't get to make that decision. (laughs) Dreams belong to the Lord is the title of our passage today. It's a real big shift in the tone from these deep, heavy messages, but we're going to get into it. We're going to see what Scripture has to say. Genesis 41, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. So if you're woken up out of a dream, that's jarring. That's nightmarish. We kind of imagine that, and usually we draw the pictures for the kids, and they don't show what's happening. The cows are devouring other cows. This was a nightmare that he had. It was so startling, so shocking that it stuck with him. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Anyone ever had a real intense dream? where you don't think, because the second dream, I'm thinking, it's corn, and how can that really be scary? But anybody had a, ever had a fever dream in their entire life? Had a fever, had a dream. It's extremely intense. The most intense dream I've ever had in my life, I had a fever. All it was was the pages of a book flipping back and forth. But every time they would flip, it was like... <laughs> and it's intense, and it sticks with you, and you wake up and go, what was that? This is the level we're talking about here with Pharaoh. It is the intensity behind it. It's sticking with him. His spirit is troubled. And let's give some context for dreams in Egypt. And it's not just in Egypt. It's in the entire world at the time. Um, we're going to put up a, a photo of a papyrus scroll that's been discovered. 
This is just titled the, um, the Ancient Egyptian Book of Dreams. And it's got some 108 odd dreams in their interpretations. And it's from around 1279 to 1213 BC is when they think this was originally penned. Um, but it's not the only one. Uh, there's an Akkadian version of this called the Iskar Zakiku. And this was discovered in Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And that one, they don't have a specific dating because it was on tablets, and they're assuming it came from ancient Babylon. So that one could be as far back as 3000 BC. And there's another one that you could go find in China. You can actually buy this book right now. It's called the Duke of Zhou uh, Book of Dreams, and that's from around 1040 BC. It's a very common idea that dreams are manifestations from God or from the gods, and it's a communication to mankind, and they mean something. They take it very seriously. It was commonplace. And so if you had something, you would go and refer to it. And when you look at all these books of dreams, they all pretty much look the same. If you went and bought one now, it still looks the same now. If you dream about this, it means that. And so when you have a dream that's a little bit different than the others, it's much more serious to them. I can't figure this out because most people dream about very similar standard things. Every now and then we get a wild dream and what was that? And how do we know the difference between this is just bad pizza or this is from God? And so I'm being able to work through this. So, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry and his servants and had, and with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. When last week, uh, Ty's interpretation says impaled, impaled is the more likely in, uh, interpretation of this, because that was the more common practice than hanging people in Egypt. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. So now for a quick public service announcement that has nothing to do with dreams. How you present and compose yourself matters. They didn't just bring him out of the pit and bring him before Pharaoh, dirty and disheveled in prisoner's rags, unshaven, unclean. No, they gave him time to get cleaned up, get a change of clothes, and present himself before the mightiest person in the entire world at the time. But why does that matter? because it does indeed matter. I'm gonna give you a small illustration. I have fought against this notion for a good deal of my life that what I wear really shouldn't matter. Um, I kind of wish my mother was in the service right now so I could point to her. Because as a young man, I didn't care. And we were going out one day and I decided, you know what's comfortable because it's a little chilly? I'm gonna wear my purple sweatpants and my white Mickey Mouse sweater. And that will be the perfect attire to go out and do what we need to do today. And my mother took one look and said, you are not going out in that. And I proceeded to argue, why? I'm comfortable, it's fine. I don't care what anyone else thinks. And as any good mother would say, 
It doesn't matter what you think because what you are dressing reflects upon me. And it also reflected on me as a child. Now, it's interesting, going out, we can look at that and go, it didn't matter. It really didn't matter. I'm just a child. I don't need to give off a good presentation to anybody. But the reality is, dressing like that says, you cannot take me seriously. I go out in purple sweats and a Mickey Mouse t-shirt. You cannot take me seriously. That's the communication. Whether we like it or not, we live in a time where clothing has such diversity within it that it has become a representation of who we are. It's not just the piece of clothing we own. There was a time when you had one suit of clothes for every day and one nice suit of clothes for a fancy occasion. And that was it. And it didn't matter. It's just, this is the thing I have. That's not the day and age we live in. It has changed that this represents who I am to the world. It needs to be clean and presentable if you want to be taken seriously. If you're going to choose to fight against that, it's, that's not a moral issue. You're choosing to fight against something that is just a culturally developed thing over hundreds of years. And even decade by decade, that shifts a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit. But what has remained the same is clean, orderly, and that it represents what I'm doing. You wouldn't go to a job interview in a bikini or in swimsuit bottoms. No matter how clean and orderly they are, it doesn't fit what you're doing. And so how you present yourself matters. How you compose yourself matters as well. So it's not all about your dress. Sometimes it's just a matter of dignity and respect and humility that you show to those you're interacting with. Because if you want people to respect you, you want people to take you seriously, you want to hear what you're saying, being snide, being belligerent, being outright upset and angry and yelling and shouting might eventually get what you want because they're so tired of you and they want you to leave but they will not want to help you into the future. They will not want you to come back. They will not want to continue engaging with you in a, any sort of business practice. And they most certainly are not gonna be taking you very seriously. How you present yourself, how you compose yourself matters. End of public service announcement. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So God does indeed speak through dreams. Sometimes it's clearly communicated and sometimes it's given through some sort of illustration or a picture or some analogy. Out of Job 33, it says, for God speaks in one way and in two though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, when they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings, that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. It's interesting because when we read through uh, a lot of Genesis, because almost all Almost all the dreams are contained in Genesis. A lot of visions contained in other books. Uh, if you go to Daniel, you get the other big dream interpreter. Uh, but we've seen quite a few so far, and we kind of just passed right on by. There wasn't, I didn't get, 
I didn't get a single question about any of this, but we saw out of Genesis 31, Genesis 15, Genesis 20, Genesis 28, Genesis 37, and Genesis 40. We saw Abraham had a dream, Joseph had a dream, Abimelech had a dream, the cupbearer had a dream, the baker had a dream, and Jacob had a couple of dreams. We've all, we've been through all of those already, and just God does communicate to us this way. And sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it doesn't, and we need some sort of interpretation for this. We need sense to be made of it. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. I got to that part and I just kind of asked, why? Why wasn't there anyone that could explain it to him? Because there were plenty of people that do this for a living. It's called, I have to, oniromancy or oniorology. It's actually a thing even now, not the oniormancy. The oniorology is a study of dreams. There's actually still studies of dreams going on today. You can actually look scientific articles where they're looking at brain activity and how your psyche and the subconscious is influencing the dreams you have. It's really still a very active topic. Um, but at this time, they believed heavily in it. There were people that did this professionally. They had books on it. Why wasn't anybody able to interpret this dream? And it had me scratching my head. And I considered for a moment if they didn't have a specific, hey, if you dream of cows eating cows and corn eating corn, it means this in the book, well, then they would have to make something up. And now it would seem, as we look through scripture, people don't necessarily have a lot of problem with making things up to make someone happy. So why didn't they do it in this case? So I looked a little bit into Egyptian law and what was the consequence for lying to Pharaoh? Now, there isn't a specific consequence for lying. There's consequences for false witness, but they have an interesting judicial system. It's very short, swift, and harsh. And it has a ranking court system, kind of like ours, that builds up all the way to Pharaoh, who has absolute word. Whatever he says goes. And so if you're going to lie to that person, it doesn't matter if there's not another law about, he can do whatever he wants. But very often, they would, um, if someone had committed a crime, they would put them in prison just until the trial. So the idea of be someone being in prison long term, as Joseph is, is very strange. It would not normally happen. Normally, they'd be in prison for a little bit before their trial, simply like the cupbearer and the baker, and then they would be brought out and they would be given a sentence. Whether in one instance a pardon, in the other instance, you're going to be put on a stake today. And they went and immediately did it. Very common practices for someone that wasn't sentenced to death was rhinoplasty, the removal of the nose, or they would remove your ears. If you were a thief, they would remove your hand. Swift and severe. Everyone will know forever that you did this. They were, 
punishments that were intended to dissuade criminal activity, and it's effective. So, if someone were to go to the king of all the land and make something up, and it doesn't come to pass, this is the concern that might come about. So it would seem that all these magicians and all these professionals, like these wise men of the land, I got nothing. There's nothing in the book. There's nothing we could point to. I'm just not sure, my Lord. Perhaps someone else has something directly from God. No one was willing to take the risk in being wrong to the king. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what is a, he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. So at this point, I just I asked the big question, why would God communicate this way? Out of Numbers 12, it says, and he said, hear my words. This is God speaking to Aaron and Miriam when they're in the desert with Moses. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why riddles, God? There's so much easier ways to communicate. Why riddles? You look at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom and instruction, and it says this, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is the expected way of communicating information. It is a, number one, a practice of teaching that is unfamiliar in our Western culture. In Western culture, we say, here is the information, here is the answer, memorize this. It's just how we have operated, but it is not the only way to teach somebody. In Near Eastern culture, it is common practice to present something as a parable or as a riddle that you have to work through. And you have a teacher to help guide you through the process of what you're doing. But they're not just going to give you the answer, but they're going to help you get there. So you have to work for it. So it means something to you when you've obtained it. The whole point of that is you have a value of the knowledge that you now had because you either had to work for it, you had to realize it wasn't inherent within you, and you had to rely on others, and now you have this wonderful treasure that you've discovered in the field. It's a practice of teaching, first and foremost, that we have to actually consider. We have to ponder. We have to work through things. And the second part of this is the rest of that passage. The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Out of Isaiah 42, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell them of you. The second aspect of this is that we get to know that this is completely of God and not of us. If you're given a dream, a vision, something you don't understand, you have to rely on the Lord for the explanation of it. There are things in life that we're not going to get, and we're expected that we're not going to get it because God's expecting you to rely on Him for it. Because as have been shown over and over and over again, the more successful, the more prosperous, the more able we are, the more highly we begin to think of ourselves. It is an unfortunate quality of most human beings. These things help us to keep a check in our humility, saying, God is the one that's going to answer this for you. It doesn't matter how wise, how bright, how amazing, everyone in the land couldn't answer this question. Joseph can answer it in a minute, not because he's so great, but because God is speaking directly to him. Fear of the Lord, giving God glory for what he is doing. And so, if you are given a communication, some wisdom into the future, some divine understanding, we need to give God acknowledgement for that. We need to rely on him for that. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of the good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against all the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. That's we're going to end in our first part. This is a super bold move. A little bit of context. This is the most influential person of the land. You don't speak out of turn to the most influential person of the land when you are the least influential person of the land. Contextually, we live in America. Everybody is a king or queen. Everyone rules. Everyone has authority. My voice matters, and you will hear what I have to say. We hold strongly to that idea in America. That is a new idea. That is not an old idea. It's not even a common idea. It's not a prevalent idea. It's something we hold firmly to here in America. And most certainly at this time, watch your words. The king can do whatever he wants, and if impertinence can be met with swift justice. Like I said, their response to breaches were severe. And so he's taking a bit of a bold move here, because he's not only a slave, he's a slave in prison. He's at the lowest possible social rank. He's been brought in to consult. You say, well, he asked him for advice. No, he asked him to interpret a dream. And that was it. And then he said, after I've interpreted this dream, by the way, Pharaoh, let me tell you how to do your job. <laughs> you ever had that happen in your work environment? I think many of you are probably professionals in your environment. You've been doing it for several years and had someone come and go, you know, I could tell you how to do this better. I know I don't do it for a living and I have no experience in this, but I've just looking, think you could do this better. 
And we live in the land where people expect to be heard. Imagine the, dif- the divide in the context there, because the irritation that happens when that person comes up to you is m- meager compared to the difference of this slave is suddenly telling me how to administrate a country. How dare you? Now, he may respond well, and he may not. We'll have to wait for next week. <laughs> or you could open your Bible and you could see after service. <laughs> Proverbs 16, righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. The light of a king's face, there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. That's interesting when we read the Proverbs is that sometimes it feels like they're all jumbled together. Like the first set of passages there didn't quite seem to fit in with the second bit there in Proverbs. But with the context given, with the experiences that the Israelites understood, the pairings began to make more and more sense. How much better it is to be wise and understanding than to be rich and wealthy when we're going before people that we need and are hoping to influence in our lives, who have way more power and authority than we do and we actually depend on them for things. How much better to be able to persuade well, to understand well, than to simply be able to pay a problem away. So what can we learn? Considering that dreams are for today still. Dreams aren't just a thing of the past. A lot of, we kind of live in an age of doubt, of skepticism right now, where we've very much marginalized the idea of dreams or anything really even um, superstitious or spiritual beyond what we have in our own personal account with the Lord. Uh, what's interesting, we live not only in that age of skepticism, but there's still just as many folks that believe these things firmly. I did a, uh, an Amazon book search. So not everything in Amazon, but just their books. And I just typed the word dreams and 60,000 books showed up. Now, some of those are dream journals, some of those are dream interpretations, some of those are make your dreams come true, and they're just kind of self-help books, but there's just that many results out there of people writing on this topic, people reading on this topic. People don't come up with stuff that other people don't use. It's such a vast interest still. People want these things to be true, and when we hear about what God has to say on dreams, out of Joel 2, it says that it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Just as a quick aside, the difference between a vision and dream, a dream you are asleep. They are the same otherwise. Dreams are, off, are referred to, as we read out of Job, as night visions. It's simply a communication from the Lord. One of them you are a dreamer, or one of them it's a kind of a waking vision, as we see Daniel have when he was walking along the river, and then the heavens are opened up before him. But these are for today. How many dreams might we have had 
that meant something that were discarded because of skepticism, because of doubt, simply because of the age we live in where we're told, well, if you believe those things, then, I mean, you're not really a serious person. That's, that's out there. I mean, it's harsh, but if we're honest, that idea is out there. But as, uh, as we drew closer and closer to this chapter on dreams, there was more and more people that I've heard recently having a dream or have had a prophetic dream in the last couple of years. Ty had the dream about what the topic of his preach was going to be and half the passages that were contained in. Chuck had a dream the other day about a teaching that he's going to do in a Bible study. I heard a dream from a friend about a couple of years back talking about kids that is coming to pass. I looked out of a... Um, Steve left most of all of his documents and everything in the office before he left, and he kept a uh, folder of old prophecies over this church. And so I flipped through that, and I thought, I wonder if there's something in there. And I came across two. There were actually dreams. One of them was, uh, I think, just a dream, uh, talking about a service that we had, and one particular person was preaching, and then people started coming in to disrupt the service, and then these guys came in in blue, loud blue suits, and they got up and they started stomping on recorders, and none of that's ever happened, and it, that was back in 2006, so I think it was just a dream. But there was another dream that was recorded in the year 2000. So Steve and Terry got here in January of 2000, and they came from Southlands Church down in Southern California. I wanted to say South America, but it's not that far. <laughs> <laughs> They come from Southern California, Southlands Church. Of friends of ours that were there, one of them had a dream, and he wrote it down, recorded it, and he sent it up here. Context. At the time, this church had dwindled down to about 25, 30 people. You could have fit all the church in these front three rows. The entire church would have fitted in that space. And they had gone through a lot of changes, a lot of... Um, a lot of fighting to stand on their values and beliefs. The church had gone through a split and had been divided, and a lot of heartaches, a lot of just standing firm in what God was doing. And the dream was talking about, he said he had a dream of they out in the field, and everybody had their plow, and they actually had finally made it to the end of their row that they were plowing. And up in the corner of the field were all the old roots and all the old plants and all the rocks and everything that they'd been working so hard to get out of the way for so long. And so this is the year 2000, and then the church started around 1984. So it's been 16 years of this difficult work of rises and falls and fighting for what the things they strongly believe in. And the prophecy at the end of the dream was that they would be, as they were plowing, they were sowing seeds of prayers and hopes and good works unto the Lord. And that through the reward for that is that these things will be brought up long before they would normally come to pass. And as we've seen, just if you look around right now, this is one of two services. And that the work and the time and the dedication and the faithfulness unto the Lord did indeed come to pass. And it was there now for us as an encouragement through a single dream. Dreams are for today. We have to be careful not to discard them. But we also have to be careful in this because things can be taken too far. We as people have a tendency to do that, especially when we get really excited about something that comes about. But you can't let dreams replace God. 
out of Jude 8, it says, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Ecclesiastes 5, 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. We must hold it all in tension. God may give you a dream, but who is it coming from? And it's not the only way he communicates. We have to be so intentional to be turning our eyes on him throughout the entirety of it. And so how do we do this well? Because there's, there's no clear formula. As a dream book would like you to see, that's a clear formula. If it's this, then it's that. That's easy. It's easy to work through. But scripture doesn't say that. The only thing that becomes clear in Scripture, as it said here, if, you get a, if he's doubling the dream, he's making sure it's going to come about. Other than that, it's, it's a variety. God is creative. He's going to give you something unique. So how do we know the difference? Because that's really a very important question. How do we know the difference between a dream and a communication from God? So first, does it contradict Scripture? We must know that God's word comes first, and God himself says this. Uh, Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder, he tells you, comes to pass. So that's the crazy thing. The dream happens. And if he says, let's go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to their words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love, your lo love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. The Word of God comes first in all things, even if the dream does indeed come to pass and, it's, and you feel the interpretation of that dream is to, um, is to leave your spouse and gamble all your money away and just whatever ridiculous thing you can think of. God says, no, 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 no. You need to abide on my word first. Second, did God interpret it to you or is it up for interpretation? In a lot of these dreams, God just spoke to people. When he, spoke, when he put Abraham in a deep sleep, he just talked to him. It was very clear what he meant. Some others, not so much. The dreams about the vines and squeezing the juice into the cup, we might be able to guess at it, but it's not clear. And so we're going to have to hold that intention when it's not clear. And even when he does speak to us, at the end of the day, it's going to be a step of faith when we consider this dream. Ultimately, all things in our walk with the Lord will be a leap of faith because you could have very well just dreamed it and that's all it was. You have to go before God and decide, is this actually of you, Lord? And then you got to step out when you're not sure what's there and say, God, I'm really believing this is you because if you get a dream that you feel is clear from the Lord to pack up and move to Albuquerque, New Mexico, that may very well be from the Lord. They may need you in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They needed Paul in Macedonia, and he had a dream about it, and he listened to the Lord. But it's a big shift. It's going to change your life. You better know firmly it's from God. Out of Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Later on in the passage, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whomever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How do we handle things that we don't understand? Dreams are something that are specifically said are of the Lord. They belong to Him. They're always going to be something we don't fully understand. How do we respond to that? When we go back to Isaiah 55 and it says, this is just how it's going to be. Do we respond in fear, in doubt, to attack? That often happens that way. We don't understand it. We fear it. We don't like the change. It makes us uncomfortable and we attack someone else's dream. No, that's not accurate. That's not that way. You can't, do, you can't make a decision based on that. And we might be dim- trying to diminish what God is doing. On the flip side, do we just go out and bear just absolute recklessness? I had a dream and it came past. That means I'm a dreamer now, everybody. And every dream I have is going to mean something. And I'm going to act on every dream from this point. I'm going to buy the dream books. And I'm going to go to the places where you get that special meditative state. And we're just going to ride this thing. That's not healthy either. What is healthy is measured before God. Consider out of Genesis 37 when Joseph shares his dreams with his family. His father rebukes him and says, hey, do you really think this is going to happen? Like, hey, kind of settle yourself down, boy. But then it says, but he held the saying in mind. Jacob didn't just disregard Joseph's dream because he didn't like it. No, he considered it. What if this actually is true? What if this is actually something God is saying? I don't understand this. I don't see how that could come about. But what am I going to do if it is? How might I prepare? How might I present this before the Lord? How do I get my heart right before Him for when this happens? Because it's going to mean a big change in my life. We should take everything as a measured response before God. Amen?